0: Welcome and thank you for tuning into the Promise Center's weekly podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you to take your next step in following Jesus. As always, feel free to check us out at www.thepromisecenter.com for more information on our church, what we're doing to make a difference in Sonoma County, and how you can partner with us. God bless and enjoy this week's message. I feel cool that I'm back here because, um, you know, I I worked in in the education system for a little while. I was a a substitute teacher. And, like, the goal of a substitute teacher was to get the class to like you enough that they would request you when the teacher was gone, right? And so when Chad was like, no, hey, these guys like you. You can come back. I'm like, I feel like the subteacher. Like, I'm officially the substitute teacher of the Promise Center. So (laughs) this is good. I Thank you for requesting me. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Hey, well, I'm excited to speak to you guys tonight because I hear Wednesday night is like the Holy Ghost service. Like these are not, these aren't people aren't faking it. These are the real Christians. We can go deep into the word. The rest of those jokers, they hang out on Sunday, but you guys are like the real deal tonight. And uh, so I want to, I want to dive into the word a little bit deeper than perhaps we normally would on a Sunday morning uh, and take a look at some stuff. But uh, I want to talk to you about a concept that uh, is very near and dear to my heart Uh, A a simple word uh, that I think all of us have sung about and uttered and read about in the Bible and even maybe uh, declared before, but something that maybe experientially a lot of us are not quite walking in yet, and and that is freedom. I want to talk to you about freedom this evening. Uh, I'm really passionate about seeing believers experience the freedom that is truly available to them in Jesus. Uh, In fact, our mission statement at the Father's House is that the Father's House exists to to see people discover the life and freedom that is available in Jesus. Uh, And and I I think that's why the church is here, to display something that people aren't quite walking in yet. And and I think um, innately in in, in all of us, there is this desire for true liberation, for for true freedom. I, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. But I really want to be completely free. I, I want to be free, and I'm not just talking about deep spiritual things. Like I, I want to be free even in like normal everyday life. Like I want to be free to dance in public, you know, and not worry about whether you thought I got stung by a bee or if, like, you know, whatever. Oh, he's too white to dance. Like I want to be, I want to be free. I want, I want to be free to give generously, financially, of my time, of my passion, without worrying about whether or not I'm going to run out at the end of it. Uh, I want to be free to live for what I believe God's called me to do without trying to qualify myself or disqualify myself based on my performance in the past. Uh, I want to be free to make some mistakes in this life, to face plan a few times without those mistakes defining me or making me. Uh, I want to be free to tell people about Jesus and not worry about whether they're going to judge me or to talk to friends and family members that maybe don't adhere to the same set of convictions that I do, but yet be free to have that conversation without fear that they may never want to talk to me again. I think all of us want these, these freedoms. But as many of us have experienced, such is the case with many things in the Bible, it is much easier wanted than received. <laughs> it's much easier talked about than done. Like, we want this freedom that we read about in the Word and that we sing about in our worship songs, but very few of us are actually living in the freedom that's available to us in Jesus. I I remember years ago, um, my wife and I, uh, we had driven over the the Bay Bridge many times and the Golden Gate Bridge many times uh, as we were kind of dating the city of San Francisco to determine if that's where we were going to live and plant a church. And uh, we often passed on the right-hand side uh, Alcatraz as we were coming into the city. And many of you have probably been there before. Uh, it is one of the many tourist traps of San Francisco, uh, and it costs a lot of money just to park your car to go to Alcatraz. But uh, it's an amazing trip. If you've never done it, I, I want to highly recommend it to you. Uh, even as a local, I would say it's, it's worth the investment for sure. Uh, my wife loved the, the trip for a lot of reasons, but namely, she loved the succulents on the island of Alcatraz. And I, that might sound really, really weird, but I'm going to... I'm going to, you know, throw a women man card here for a moment. They were beautiful succulents all over the island of Alcatraz. So it's, it's worth the trip. Uh, but the coolest thing about the, the, the tour on Alcatraz is they give you these headphones, and you get to walk through the prison as you're being uh, narrated to by uh, the voice of certain prisoners that were in the prison system. So they begin to tell you about experiences or attempts to, to, to break out and all this cool stuff. And, you know, we're walking around for about an hour, and we're hearing about all this this stuff that took place at the Rock. And I'll never forget, we, we, near the end of the tour, we entered into what was called solitary confinement, These these little cells that were in the dark most of the day with nothing but a little 12-by-12-inch window that these prisoners could look out into the distance of the sky. And they lived 24 hours a day in these little cells. And as we were uh, touring solitary confinement, the voice on our uh, our headphones came on, uh, a guy named Jim. And here's what he said. In fact, I think this quote is going to be on your screens tonight. But Jim, inmate number 586, said, Uh, The Yacht Club, which was directly across from the island, would always have a big New Year's party. If the wind was blowing from that direction to the rock, you could actually hear people laughing. You could hear music. You could hear girls laughing. You know, you could hear all the sounds coming from the free world at the rock. One inmate said, if you squinted through the bars in that small window through the wall, and if the wind was blowing just right, you might be able to see the fireworks at New Year's. I want you to imagine that existence for a moment. I don't know that there's one more miserable. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for an indefinite period of time, here you sit in a dark, cold prison cell. Your only window into the outside world is covered in bars and outside of your reach. And here comes New Year's. 364 days prior, you've just been living life miserably. But now on New Year's, you can you can smell the food cooking from the shore. You can hear people laughing and enjoying themselves. And if you squinted just right, you could see the fireworks in the air. People celebrating the close of one year And the entrance of a new year, this fresh opportunity to make resolutions, to do things differently than they did before. But there you are, stuck inside your prison cell, hearing about it, smelling it, so close that you could almost taste it, but you simply could not experience it. I think that is a vivid picture of what many people in the church feel like. We, we, we stand in, 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 in worship settings, we listen to people preach the word, and, and we get these glimpses of freedom. Maybe we even see a testimony of somebody that was addicted to the same substance we were addicted to, or was walking through the same situation we were walking through, and they found freedom, but here we sit in our little prison cell, staring out at a window, trying to grasp something that seems outside of our reach. Desiring it, but not experiencing it. Maybe even today you could, uh, you, you could resonate with another quote I read where it said, uh, this was a guy on death row, he said, there are prisoners behind bars and experiencing greater freedom than those who are walking our streets. Freedom, you see, is an inner condition, not an external experience. Amen. Maybe that statement would define your life tonight. Well, here's the reality I want us all to come to grips with before we even go to the Word this evening. Jesus did not design you to live bound. The promises in His Word are not carrots dangled on the end of a stick, getting you to think that something is possible but never truly experiencing it. No, if Jesus is here tonight, as we mentioned a moment ago ago during worship, Then what he said of himself in Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4, where he said, I have come to open every prison door and to set all of the captives free. The liberator is here this evening. And if you are bound in any way, shape, or form in the room tonight, I believe that Jesus is here to set you free once and for all. I know that this is kind of like a charismatic Pentecostal church, which is why I feel like I'm among family here. I'm old school. I believe in programs and all that stuff is great. But I also believe in one encounter in a moment in the presence of Jesus and its ability to radically transform you for the rest of your life. And maybe you're here tonight on a Wednesday evening bound and tired of trying to fix yourself because Jesus wants to, in a moment, set you free once and for all. Can I get a decent amen on a Wednesday night? Come on. I believe it can, and it shall happen this evening. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to the book of John chapter 8. And uh, we're going to read a familiar portion of scripture to many of you. uh, But let me take a look at it from a different angle here. John chapter 8, verse 31. It starts like this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, pause, like a true Pentecostal preacher, I want you to underline that line. The people who believed in him. I want you to underline it, lipstick it, do whatever you got to do to remember it in a few minutes, okay? You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free, Jesus? And Jesus replied, "I I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. In fact, some translations say, and you've heard it before, if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Uh, If you're going to take any notes this evening, we're going to title this brief chat, Unleashed, Unleashed. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you tonight. I thank you for your presence in this place, Lord. I thank you that you... Love us so much that um, you wouldn't leave us to sing songs and just uh, rattle off some words without the obvious sense of your nearness, but by very nature of your nearness and your presence in the room, you're confirming that you're here with us tonight to do something in our lives. God, we didn't come to church on a Wednesday because we wanted to leave this place the same way we showed up. We've got plenty of better things to do on a Wednesday. The weeks are long, the hours are long at work. Many of us are tired, and yet here we are in your house because we have the audacity to believe that your presence and your word can change us before we leave this place. So do what you promised. You said in Psalms that at the entrance of your word, it would bring light. Bring light to every life tonight. Illumina- illuminate the dark areas of our hearts. God set us free before we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, let me start by making a, uh, a theological statement, which is... Um, which is never the smartest place to start your message. You know, traditionally, you're supposed to, like, earn the trust of your audience. And so you don't make a theological statement up front that could divide people from the very beginning and get them to hate you. You know, you could say one thing as a preacher, and for the entirety of the message, and then on the drive home, all you think about is the one thing that I said and forgot everything else because you disagreed with that one statement. Well, at the risk of losing people at the beginning, I'm going to make a theological statement up front. Whether you agree with it or not doesn't really matter to me because it's the truth. Theologically, doctrinally, I believe that all dogs go to heaven. Thank you. All dogs go to heaven. Um, I don't know about cats. (laughs) I know where my cat is going. Well, it's my wife's cat, but I know where that one's going, okay? Lining the hallways of hell with all of its kind for all eternity, yes, but... I believe all dogs go to heaven. And the reason I believe all dogs go to heaven is because for 16 years, I had the greatest dog on the planet. She was the best. And I know that when I go to heaven one day, I'm going to have an opportunity to run with her through fields of daisies and frolic for all eternity. Like, I believe she's there waiting for me right now. Like, she was the best dog. And isn't it interesting that when you have a dog, uh, after they die, that's your confession. They were the best Dog. And you forget everything else that that dog did while they were on the planet, right? Like everything that you hated, nah, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. That was the best dog. It doesn't matter how many carpets they ripped up or how many times they, you know, went to the bathroom on your, on your rugs or your floors. Like they were the best dog. I had a great dog. Her name was Misha. Uh, she made it 16 years, which is long by dog years for sure. And uh, she was a black lab pit and chow mix. She was black everywhere, like black eyes, black tongue, black fur. She was the coolest looking dog, and I got her when I was 18 years old. I rescued her uh, from, uh, from the pound, and uh, you know, I was walking through the pound trying to figure out which one of these dogs do I think shouldn't die, and then I'm like, you, you look great, and took her home with me, and she was the best. She used to sleep in the bed with us before we had kids, and, and she was great, uh, and, but I remembered as I was getting ready to move from Vacaville to San Francisco, as I was going through files in my desk, uh, that my, my dog actually had a little bit of a colored past. Uh, see, the dog liked humans, but she didn't really care for other dogs. Uh, I don't know if you've met a dog like this, but a dog that hates its own kind, but really loves humanity. And so, like, when people came over to the house, she was pumped. The tail would wag. She'd come right up in your business. She'd like, "Ah, good to see you, and she was all about people. But the second she saw another dog, she would growl, and she would get, you know, hair on the back of her neck would stand up, and she was, she was ready to fight. And, uh, As I was looking through the files in my desk, I stumbled upon the criminal record of my dog, Misha. And I'm not making that up. That's not a joke. This is a literal thing. Uh, Here's what happened. So one day, uh, my my dog was sitting in front of a window that she normally stood in front of at the front of our house. And she was watching other dogs and animals go by. And often as she did, she would just growl as the birds or the, the dogs walked by our house. And, you know, she would bark at the window, but she was pretty harmless. She couldn't get anywhere. Well, one day, we had a contractor at our house who was installing some new flooring. And uh, the, he accidentally left the garage door open uh, during the installation. And so uh, this small um, cat-looking dog, kind of, you know, whatever, like a little baby, whatever, white dog thing, uh, it, it's, it's walking across the street, and my dog is sitting at the window doing what she normally does, you know, just trying to fight it through the window. And she has an epiphany. Oh, the door's open. I don't have to stay here. I can go out there, and I can take care of business. So she shoots out the garage door, runs across the street, grabs this little cat dog by the neck, and starts like just, I mean, throwing it around like a stuffed animal. So I hear from the back of the house a woman screaming and these two dogs barking at each other. And my wife and I we run out the front of the house and we see my dog with this other dog in her jaw and I'm like, no, Misha, put it down. And you know, and I'm apologizing, to the lady, I'm so sorry. Is, is your cat okay? Like, I don't know, is it like is something all right? Like, it's a dog, you know. <laughs> Like oh uh, sorry about that but uh, the dog's bleeding and and I'm trying to console her and so for like 20 minutes we're making sure the dog can still walk and it's still alive and finally I thought we calmed her down and she went home and we went back inside and we're like man that that was that was that was bad about an hour and a half later I get a knock on the door I open the door and there's two police officers standing at the front door They're like hello sir um, do you own a black lab and I'm like yeah? Is she under arrest? Like, what's happening right now? It's like, well, uh, one of your neighbors uh, just told us that your dog uh, attacked uh, her dog, and uh, we need to ask you some questions. So they come down, and they interview me about my dog for like an hour. And about a week later, I get a summons notice in the mail that I have to go to a hearing for my dog to determine whether or not my dog should be put to sleep based on her bad behavior. I'm like, there's death row for dogs? Like, this is crazy. So we, we go to this hearing, and we have to try and defend our dog, and when it's all said and done, they said, we'll send you the results in the mail, and about another week later, I get this document, like 25 pages thick in the mail, with their decision about my dog. Now, thank goodness she didn't have to be put to sleep, but they gave us a number of rules that we had to comply with if our dog was to live, so, you know. Bars on the windows, and you had to put like beware of dog signs all over your house and literally like one of the rules was when I was in public and walking with her, like I had to call out to other dog owners like she bites like like as if she was a leper, you know like in the old testament times like leper like <laughs> you know the weirdest thing i 'm like okay sure i 'll do that uh, but the uh, the main thing on this list of rules that we had to live by was we were not allowed to take the dog out for a walk unless she was on. One of these. Now, the problem was uh, my dog hated leashes. And if you ever met a dog like this, like, they would, she would would turn around and bite her leash every time we had a leash on her neck. And so I had to find a leash that she didn't know was on her. And I discovered that these, because there was such an ease to them, uh, allowed her to feel like she wasn't on a leash and she could go on a walk, but it still allowed me to remain in control. So while she was walking, if she wanted to smell the flowers or pee on somebody else's lawn or, you know, whatever, she could go as far as she wanted to go. But if another dog was coming in our direction or she was headed towards something I didn't want her to head to, all I had to do was to push a button, and at the push of a button, I could keep my dog in control and jerk her back to where I wanted. The simplicity of the technology of a leash. At the push of a button... I could determine how much freedom my dog truly had. Now, this is a leash, but this is ultimately the scenario that Jesus is painting in John chapter 8. A scenario where people have bought into an ideology of freedom that isn't real. A freedom that feels like everything is okay, but at any given moment, at the push of a button... At the utterance of a word, at a a time and season when maybe they didn't want to fall back into what they fell into before, they would find themselves once again reminded, I'm not truly free. I'm bound more than I'm willing to admit. Life on a leash. Here's how it goes down. Jesus comes to a group of people that says, uh, that the Bible says, believed in him. Now, I told you to underline that because here's what I want every person in this room to understand tonight. Yes, you may be saved. Yes, you may be spirit-filled. Yes, you may believe in Jesus. But belief in Jesus does not equate to freedom. You can believe in Jesus and still not experience the freedom that he's offering. So Jesus addresses a crowd of people, similar to those here tonight, who believed in him, and he makes this statement. He says, hey... If you know the truth, the truth can set you free. If you know the truth, the truth can set you free. Translation, you're not free right now, but I'm offering you something this evening. I'm offering you something right now that can truly set you free. Now, when Christians read that scripture, and when we sing that kind of scripture out, we celebrate. Yes, I'm going to know the truth, and the truth is going to set me free. But that's not how the audience responded that evening. That they weren't overjoyed at this new freedom that Jesus was offering. In fact, they got offended that he was offering this kind of freedom to them. They're like, Jesus, um, communication 101. uh, You should know the audience you're preaching to. And if you don't know the audience you're preaching to, you know often you're going to say things that you you shouldn't have said because it really doesn't apply to the context that you're speaking into. And so Jesus, I appreciate that you're offering this freedom, but we actually don't need it. Like, do you know who we are? We are sons and daughters of Abraham. We've never been a slave to anybody. We don't need this freedom that you're offering. So go peddle your freedom gospel somewhere else. We've never been a slave. Now, that may not sound odd to you, but a quick, brief read through the Old Testament will allow you to realize that is an absolutely preposterous statement. We've never been a slave to anybody? Are you kidding me? Hello? Like... Every person in this audience, they were Jewish people. They would have had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Consequently, the second book is called Exodus. What's it about? An exodus from slavery. Like, you were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. What do you mean you've never been a slave to anybody? Have you completely forgotten your history? Oh, and by the way, after you enter into the promised land, and you stop serving me, and you begin to worship other gods, I again handed you over into slavery to the Babylonians for 70 years. Have you forgotten that one? Okay. Maybe you don't know your history lessons. Let's talk about your existence right now, Jews who are listening to me speak. Currently, Rome is overseeing this entire establishment out here. You are under the governance of Rome, and they are forcing you to do things you don't want to do. In fact... By all implications, you are currently living in slavery. As Jesus is speaking this message to his audience, he's speaking to an enslaved people. So even if you don't know the history, you know what you're under right now, what do you mean you've never been a slave to anybody? You were a slave, and you are a slave, and you need to be set free. So you have to ask yourself this question. What what happens in the mind of a person To get them to a place where if freedom is standing in front of them and being offered, where they simply deny it and say, I'm sorry, I don't need any freedom. What gets somebody to a place where they know they're a slave, but they choose to deny it? So I I did a little digging. Why, why, Why would this audience be so offended at what Jesus was offering? And here's what I found out. To the Jewish people... Being called a slave was one of the greatest insults anybody could dish out. A slave in Jewish culture was the lowest of the food chain. It, it, it was the worst of human existence. And so if you were being called a slave, it was equivalent to being said, being said of, you're, you're no longer even a part of our culture. Like, you don't belong in this world. We aren't slaves. We're Jews. We're prideful people. So to associate that kind of word with your existence meant that you were willingly admitting that you desperately needed help. So in their pride, they decided to live in denial. In their pride, they said, you know what? I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to pretend I'm free, even though I know I'm a slave. Even though I know what's happening right now, even though I know what's happened in our past, we are a prideful people, we are God's chosen people, so we are free, even though you're not. A pretend, falsified, faux version of freedom. But thank God that Jesus, there's an ironic statement, thank God that Jesus, anyway. (laughs) Thank Jesus, he's not willing to let people stay where they're at. Come on, how many of you are grateful tonight that Jesus doesn't look at the situation you find yourself in, and even if you disagree with what he's offering on the table right now, he hasn't given up on you yet. And he said, you know what? I'm not done with the conversation. Even though they're not willing to engage, let me take this a step further. You don't want to talk about your history. You don't want to talk about Rome. Fine. Let's get to the heart of the matter. And Jesus does what Jesus always did. He takes a natural situation and he begins to apply a spiritual truth. He says, okay, you don't want to talk about slavery on the outside. Let's talk about what's going on on the inside. He says, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. Hey, I know know you don't want to talk about what's happening on the outside, but if you've sinned, my friend, you're a slave to sin. Now, that's pretty depressing news, especially if you consider the verb context. I told you it's Wednesday. We're going to go a little bit deep here. So if you get into, like, the the verb context of words in the Greek, here's what Jesus is saying. It's the perpetual tense of the verb, meaning that if you have sinned more than one time, you are a sinner. You lied more than once? Yeah, you're a slave to sin. You've cussed more than once? Yeah, you're a slave to sin. You told somebody something you shouldn't have told them? You've been unforgiving? Slave to sin. Fill in the blank. So Jesus is leveling the playing field for his audience. He's like, hey, okay, if you don't want to talk about your past, let me throw everybody into the same bucket at the same time. If you've sinned more than one time, guess what, my friend? You're a slave, and you need freedom. He, he, he almost insults further by incriminating everybody in the audience, but he doesn't do it to offend he does it because he wants to level the playing field so that everybody in the audience realizes how desperately they need what he's offering. He says, I love you too much, son. I love you too much, daughter, to leave you in the state that you're in. So let me, let, me, let me talk to you on a different level tonight so that we can all get on the same page. If you have sinned, you are a slave to sin. But he doesn't leave it with the bad news. He concludes this teaching with a famous statement that all of us have heard before. And he says, but. If the sun sets you free, if the sun, I believe that I am the Son of God. I've been telling you about it for a long time. If the sun sets you free, then you are free indeed. Now let's go deep again. Put on your water wings, okay? We're going to the deep end of the pool. That word indeed in the Greek is the word ontos. And here's what it means I love this, this is so good. Experientially, and no longer having to pretend. To be free experientially, no longer having to pretend to be free. If the sun sets you free, you don't have to pretend any longer. You can actually experience complete and total restorative freedom. Now, yes, we clap, we applaud, but, but here's the reality. To our, our culture, to many of us who've lived in seasons of bondage and addiction, that sounds like a pipe dream. That sounds like a promise that is way too good to be true. Like, Jesus, are you telling me that I don't have to pretend to be free anymore? I don't have to put on the fake face while I know behind the scenes I am still struggling. You mean I don't have to show up to church dressed in the nines, looking good? but then go home to the same garbage I've been going home to every season. Like, I can actually experience freedom once and for all. Are you telling me, Jesus, that I don't have to drink again? Are you telling me that I don't have to think like that again? Are you telling me that that stuff that happened to me when I was younger, I can be set free of that in a moment? Are you telling me I don't have to delete the browser on my computer again? Are you telling me that I can actually experience once and for all complete and total freedom? That, that just does not sound possible and the reason it doesn't sound possible is because most of us have bought into a falsified version of freedom and accepted it as the only truth that's available to us a temporary freedom a pretend freedom for the sake of the message we've settled for nothing more than a leash uh, l- l- let me see if I can drive this home. Um, I need a married couple. Can I get a married couple? Excuse- yeah, come on, come on up here. Come on, come on, come on. Pause for a moment. We're gonna we're gonna prepare our illustration here. Worship among yourselves. Okay. This is nothing more than an illustration of what marriage looks like, okay? Just to be clear, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we all knew this was true well before this actually happened on stage, okay. <laughs> focus, people, all right? Put your cameras away and just focus. It's going on Instagram. This is what we're all about at the Promise Center, putting people on leashes. Okay. Here's what most of us have settled for. A version of freedom that is nothing more than a slightly longer leash. Seasonal freedom, if you will. Freedom that says, as long as I can make it a little bit longer than I did last time, then I think I'm free. So we come to church and we worship. We lift our hands. Like, thank you, Jesus. We get on our knees and we repent of all the stuff that we've done. Like, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm never going to do it again. I told, I'm going to treat her better. I'm, I'm going to stop telling my wife she needs to do the dishes. I'm going to clean the house more. Like, I'm going to take care of our kids. Like, <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm prophesying right now. But no. <laughs> and then he gets up and he's like, thank God I feel so free. Church was amazing. And he goes out to live his life. But then a week later, he... Finds himself in a situation where he disrespects his wife or he says something he shouldn't have said to his kids. He's like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry, God. So he comes back to church or he gets in his quiet time and he gets back down on his knees and he repents again. He's like, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to do it again. I know I promised you last time, but I promise you again. I'm going to do better this time. So he gets up and this time he goes two weeks before it happens again. But then two weeks later, he finds himself back in the same. Does, Does this feel like the tailspin or the cycle that some of us have experienced before? And we're like, okay. I'm free because I made it a little bit longer than I did last time. So as long as I can make it a little bit longer next time, and as long as I can go about a month next time, then then that must be the kind of freedom that's available to me in Jesus. But listen to me very clearly this evening. Jesus did not come to this planet and die the kind of death that he did. He was not mutilated beyond recognition and nailed to a cross so that you could go a couple more weeks than you did last time, so that you could have a slightly longer season of freedom. No, he came so that he could once and for all remove the leash, break the chain, and set you free indeed, once and for all, because if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. That's why we call it unleashed. Mama, dada, you were on a leash. Uh, (laughs) Like a puppy. Uh, I am so sick and tired of seeing Christians live bound the same way that the people of the world are. We've got freedom on a silver platter being offered to us. I say we lay hold of it. I say we take what Jesus is offering to us. Because if he sets you free, you're free indeed. Now, the million dollar question, if this is an option for us, is this if that kind of freedom is available to me, how do I get it? Like so many things in the word, they're like kind of ambiguous. Like, cool. How do I like actually apply this to my life? Like, in our brokenness. In our three-step society, we want, like, the three-step plan. Like, okay, what, tell, tell me what I got to do. Go to counseling? I'll go to counseling. i going to go to the program. I'll go to the program. What scriptures do I need to read? I'll declare them. I'll write them on my mirror in the morning. You know, I'll declare them out. It's going to be great. Like, that's what we want. We want the quick fix. But I think Jesus actually alludes to the solution in this scripture. Here's what he says. And I'm kind of black and white. I sort of just take Jesus at his word. How do you find freedom? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let let me explore that for a second. Band, you guys can go, because we're going to land the plane. You will know the truth. What is the truth? Well, you got to know the truth, you got to know the Bible. Well, these guys knew the Bible, and they weren't free. You know, you just got to be more disciplined. These are some of the most disciplined people on the planet. In fact, it said of the Pharisees that they would, they would take a filter and put it over their water to strain their water so that they would even get a gnat out of their water because it was the smallest of unclean insects. And the last thing they wanted to do was defile themselves. Okay, well, okay, if, if, it's, if it's truth, I need to know, what, what, what are we talking about here? Well, I, I think that there's two truths displayed in this scripture. And, and these are going to be very simple, but I think they'll hit every person in the room. Truth number one, I think you need to be truthful with yourself. I think every person must come to a place in their life where they realize I cannot fix myself. I can't try any harder than I'm trying. I can't go to another session. I can't take another pill. I can't continue to rely on human, fabricated attempts at freedom. I must come to the end of myself where I realize I desperately need Jesus.